here. And uh, I'd like to share with you something that I think will be an inspiration to you. Uh, you notice that uh, we all happen to eat our breakfast, dinner, supper. Some people have only two meals a day. Some people have only one meal a day. You know, they start in the morning and finish at night. So it's interesting. And you know, Adam and Eve were put in the Garden of Eden and they could eat of all the fruit that's there. And they enjoyed it. Of course, they're prohibited to eat of one particular tree, the fruit thereof. And uh, unfortunately, they did. And it's been a problem ever since when it comes to eating habits now. So somehow, somehow, some of these things have happened. It's rather interesting that in Matthew 9, 9, it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. He was a tax collector. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him, Christ. You know, it's really interesting that Levi Matthew was the fifth disciple to be called into Jesus' service. And he had been listening to Jesus and his heart was open to him and to what he was saying. And he was sort of surprised that uh, Jesus would call him even while he was in the tax booth collecting the taxes. Even more surprising is that Matthew left all to follow the Lord's invitation. He left everything behind. No hesitation, no questioning, no thought for the kind of a job he had. He just simply followed what Jesus asked him to do. You know, it's rather interesting that Matthew later on hosted a dinner in honor of Jesus. It wasn't a potluck. It was probably a fellowship meal, whatever. But he was the one who supplied all the food and it was in his home. And did you know that sometimes we forget how important eating together is? And here, Matthew hosted a dinner in honor of Jesus and among the 3,000 who were converted at Pentecost, after Jesus' death, there were many, many who first heard God's truth at Matthew's dinner. Did you know that? Interesting how important it is to have the type of fellowship, to have meals, and also not to talk about just about anything, but to talk about the truth of God. So I think that you and I need to be aware of the fact that eating is important, but sharing the truth is even more important. Let me share with you another very interesting experience that happened in the Bible 
and I'll sort of summarize it, and then I will read a text. You know, it was almost time, doubling up, it was almost time for the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The chief priests and the scribes were planning on how they might take Christ and put him to death. Okay? That was their plan. And they didn't want to do it just then because they knew that the public would sort of go against them crucifying Christ or, or somehow putting him to death in whatever way they had in mind. And during that time, Christ was in Bethany in the home of Simon. And while he, that was referring to Christ, was seated at the table eating, here again, he was in Bethany at the home of Simon, and he was sitting at the table, and here's what happened. Watch it. A woman appeared with an alabaster box of ointment, pure, precious, and costly. That's the ointment that she had. She broke the box and with the oil anointed the master. This deed of love immediately brought forth criticism. Some became very angry, and you know what they said? Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold and have been given to the poor. That's the criticism that immediately went on among the people who were there at Simon's home eating, and this woman came and anointed Jesus with the alabaster box. And you know, Jesus always knows and understands the motives of you and me, and she, he also knew the motive of this woman. And you know what he said? What Jesus said in Mark 14? This whole thing is in Mark 14, 4 to 8, but I've summarized it, but now I'm going to read what it says there. And uh, here's what he said. Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She has wrought a good work on me. And then he said, for ye have the poor with you always. And whensoever ye, ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She is come aforehand to anoint my body for the bearing. It's rather interesting that Jesus replied to what people told when she broke that box and anointed Jesus. So he replied. And then further, he said this, wherever or wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, that's the memory verse that you read then, also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. And you have heard the story before, I am sure. 
And you know, that story really has been repeated many, many times. And this church has preached the gospel around the whole world. And I'm sure that this was brought up in almost every church one time or another. But you know something? This alabaster box is something very interesting about it because it is a symbol of Christ. That box, that ointment, is a symbol of Christ. How do we look at it that way? Well, let me share with you exactly what it is about that box that is so important. The alabaster box was a free gift from Mary. Free gift. She was not persuaded or forced to bring this gift. She simply gave it as a gift. She brought it gladly and anointed Jesus tenderly as only a woman can do. Just as the alabaster box was this free gift from Mary, so Christ was a free gift from God. That's the similarity. In fact, the Bible says in three, John 3.16, For he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Mary gave. God gave. Now, yes, what a waste this was. This was not necessary. What a pity that so many do not appreciate this wonderful gift and all that it means today. The gift of Jesus Christ from God. Just like the people there did not appreciate the fact that she gave that free gift and anointed Jesus. In fact, the gift is all ours. It is freely offered. In fact, there's another Bible verse in Isaiah 55.1 that says, Ho, everyone that thirsts, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Free. Go, enjoy it. Okay, we'll take one other area where it's similar. Are we ready for it? The alabaster box was a gift of love. For God so loved the world that he gave. Mary so loved Jesus that she gave. And it was criticized. She brought it and anointed her master with the oil and her great love for him, she didn't care what the people would think. She did, just didn't. She just went ahead and gave it because of her love to him. And love always presents the sweetest and the most precious gift. Did you know that? People that love are people that give the most precious. As the alabaster box was a love gift from Mary, so Jesus was God's love gift to us. 
He was a supreme gift of love from heaven to earth. And we must remember that it truly was from heaven to earth. Now there's something else that 1 John 4.10 reveals to us. It says, therein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beautiful. The more we know God, the more we love him. But God always loves us. And before we even loved God, God loved us. Did you know something else about that gift? The ointment in the alabaster box was the best quality that money could buy. Because of her great love for the Savior, Mary was satisfied with only the best With that, it was the purest. She dared not use anything impure on a sinless, holy Christ. Here again is a parallel, and it's so fitting. The purity of the ointment was symbolic of the purity found in the life of Jesus. He was the incarnate one, the one who was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin, the Bible tells us. He was a life of purity from the cradle to the grave, even through the crucifixion. He was still pure. He challenged the Jews who were always looking for wrong in his life to point out one sin in him, but they found no fault in him. In fact, Peter speaks of the purity of Jesus' life when he says in 1 Peter 1.10, here's what Peter says, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. 1 Peter 1.10. We're also told in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Did you notice? Jesus is pure. And this Bible verse says, Blessed are the pure in heart. It's talking about you and me. For they shall see God. So the pure in heart will see God. Isn't it amazing? How often we permit certain things to enter to our mind that's impure, impure thoughts, impure accusations, not right. And God tells us that we, those that are pure in heart, will see God face to face. Also, in 1 John 3, 3, it says, every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he, Jesus, is pure. So there's a responsibility that you and I have 
of being pure because of the fact that for God so loved that he gave and the gift is free. There is no reason or excuse that you and I have of not being pure through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So God will, at his coming, his coming of the Son of God, have a people who will measure up to the standard of that alabaster box being really pure. He will, he will be presented with Ephesians 5.27 with a glorious church. What? We're talking about people seeing God and now it's referring to a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Holy and without blemish, Ephesians 5.27. That's the kind of a church this Crestline Church is. People who trust in the Lord, who accepted that precious gift from God because he loved us so much. He loved us first. And John the Revelator saw the ransom of the Lord, and this is what he said in Revelations 14, 5. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Wow. And God tells us to be pure, to be loving, to be kind, to be forgiving, to be understanding. All of those things. Would God ask us to be something that would be impossible? Of course not. God only asks us what is possible through him. So we have to learn and find out what is it. So there's one other thing about that gift that is really interesting. And that is, it was a precious gift. In fact, Mark 14.3 says that very word, precious. In fact, Mary's gift was described as, in Mark 14.3, an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. The Bible says, very precious. To Mary, it was indeed very precious. Because Jesus looked upon his as such. That's what he called it. And when God, when Christ called something precious, it's so. It also was a precious gift to Mary because of what it cost her. You know that Mary was a poor woman. No one knows how long she saved her money to purchase that ointment. Do you know? I don't know. The Bible doesn't even say it. Except it does say something very interesting. Her critic said, it might have been sold for more than 300 pence, according to Mark 14.5. So they had a little idea of what the cost of that ointment was, that perfume. So in comparison with our money, it was worth how much? The Bible, in another translation, says that it was one year's wage. 
I wonder if I would have the nerve to ask any of you, what do you earn in one year? Would you be willing to stand up and say, this is what I earn? Or would you rather say, Pastor, don't have, have me stand up and tell? And yet, this woman spent that much money on something that she wanted to give Jesus. And she did. With love, with purity. And here it was a very precious gift. One year's wage. Do you remember the days when we had the week of prayer in the fall? And the, the, it was suggested that at the end of that week of prayer, we'd have a special thank offering and we would give a one week's wage. And some people did it and some didn't do it. It's too much. Too much. But the value of this gift is as nothing compared with the gift we have from heaven, our Savior, Jesus, who freely was given to you and to me. Now, that gift was given. We have a little idea of what the gift, the ointment cost Mary, a year's wage. What's the worth of Christ? How much is Christ worth? Have you at all thought about it? Really, is the value. What's the worth of Christ? Typified by the alabaster box cannot be measured in dollars and cents. He is worth more than all the treasures contained in this world and maybe in the entire universe. And friends, listen carefully. And yet Judas sold Christ for 30 pieces of silver. And by selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, he lost or forfeited eternal life. You look at me and say, how foolish that was of Judas to do that. And it was foolish. But how about you and me? Have we sometimes been guilty of selling our priceless Savior, Jesus, for even less than Judas received 30 pieces of silver? Have you ever thought, as your mind thinks back, of how you lost Jesus or sold him? You didn't trust in him? Well, you know, you and I cannot afford to lose salvation through Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, 26 says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What will you gain? And yet, how we play 
with our relationship to God by thinking, doing certain things that we know is not right, and yet we continue doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it, almost as if, who cares? I don't. And really nobody else cares. If you want to lose Christ and salvation, it seems like the world doesn't care, but God sure does. God sure does. And she break the box and poured it on his head, according to Mark 14.3. Did you notice something? She had it. She bought it. She carried it. And it was of no value in a way until she brought it place where they were eating in Simon's house and until she broke it then something happened the alabaster box was worthless until, until it was broken and the oil was used thus far the parallel between Mary's gift and Christ the greatest of all gifts has been very highly and very significant. This past little parallel of the broken gift, I think is the most striking resemblance. Every time we partake of the bread at the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of his broken And yet, it's amazing how Satan tries to make sure that we are occupied or away or do something instead of coming to have the ordinances. Resembling the partaking of the bread at the Lord's Supper. The bread symbolizes his body. In fact, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, Jesus himself said that he break it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. The oil, the alabaster box, the perfume was broken. And then things begin to happen. It wasn't until Jesus said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And this is what you read when you read the scripture reading, that this will be spoken of, of her gift everywhere. So really, whenever somebody preaches about Jesus and the love of God and for God so loved the world, there is something that we can look at of how Mary gave her all with love, a precious gift. His life would have been worthless as far as our eternal salvation is concerned if he had not been willing to have his body broken on Calvary's cross and also to die for us. He did so much for us. 
rather interesting that although Christ is, according to Luke 20, 17, the stone which the builders rejected, thank God he was or he has become the head of the corner. Referring to himself as a stone, he said the following in Luke 20, 18. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken. Whosoever shall fall upon the stone, upon Christ, surrendering all, will be broken. But whosoever it shall fall on, it will grind him to powder. You can read whatever you want into this thing. Either you're broken by falling on Christ or the time will come when we will be nothing. So since he was willing to be broken for us, shall we not be willing to cast ourselves upon him and be broken? I still remember the time when I was a Catholic at Canadian Union College, at the week of prayer, which I knew nothing about what weeks of prayer were, I listened, and on Friday night, starting on Friday night, this was the last Friday night, when the speaker simply said, all of you that want to be in heaven, would you please stand? All the students stood because they wanted to be in heaven. I, as a Catholic, wanted to be in heaven. I stood too. But it wasn't until he said, just because you want to be in heaven, it doesn't mean to say that you will get to heaven. And it is true. Just because you want to doesn't mean you'll make it. And then he said, the only way you can get to heaven is by accepting Jesus as your personal Savior. And once that was said, I was sitting at the back or standing at the back, and I knew, oh, I think he's talking to me. And the Holy Spirit began to talk to me, making it very clear, very clear, that I wanted to be in heaven, but I could not get to heaven unless I accept Christ my personal Savior, and I began to make every excuse possible. I wanted to go there, wanted to go there, wanted to go there, wanted to go back to the Catholic Church, wanted to go back to baseball pitching, wanted to go back everywhere. But I had to make a decision. So there I was again, confronted with the thought, if you want to be in heaven, just because you want to be in heaven, it doesn't mean to say you'll make it. You have to accept Christ as your personal Savior. So there I was, confronted again and again. And you know what I did? I realized that if I don't accept Jesus, my personal Savior now, I probably never will. And then all at once I decided, I want to be in heaven. I want to accept Christ, my personal Savior. And I begin to come front because the preacher said, please come forward, those of you that want to accept Christ as your personal Savior. So I begin to come forward. And that is when I was broken. I used to think that I was so important. After all, baseball pitcher, Catholic, altar boy, you name it, and a teenager. And most teenagers kind of feel like they've got it all put together right. Nobody's going to tell them what to do. And I was broken. 
And I didn't understand fully what it meant until I began to read what the alabaster box and that Mary woman who broke it and anointed Jesus with it, and it wasn't until that was broken that the effects were there in a beautiful way. So you and I must be broken. And when we are willing to be broken by Christ, he then is willing to mold your life, your character, your person into the image of God. And then you will become a new person. A new person. And that's something that all of you have experienced. And if first perchance you haven't, there's only one way that you can, is you allow yourself to be broken. Otherwise, you won't experience it. Because this isn't something that you can orchestrate yourself. This is something that only happens when you are confronted with the Holy Spirit telling you, you must put away self and be broken, and God will mold you together and give you a new heart. So it's rather interesting that all of these things have to do with the alabaster box. And did you notice something else that was very interesting? And that was in John 12, 3. It says that when the alabaster box was broken, the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. That's what the Bible says. Interesting, isn't it? It wasn't until it was broken that something really happened. So you know that it was Christ's death upon the cross, and then he was laid in the tomb. And ever since he came forth from the tomb as a risen Savior, the sweet odor of his resurrection life, resurrected life has filled the entire world. Did you know that? That's the only thing that gives us hope, is the fact that Christ died on Calvary's cross, was put in a doom, tomb, sealed as if he'll, they didn't want him to rise, and yet he rose. Very interesting. In fact, Paul said that Christ, Ephesians 5, 2, hath given himself for us as an offering, a gift, as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. You know, I have never seen anybody say this before or heard, but maybe I should. You know what happens when a person dies? The body begins to decay. And they tell me that some bodies that are mass destruction of bodies, when they don't bury them, the smell is horrible. And here we're told that the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of God's people will be a sweet-smelling savor. What an experience it's going to be to be made perfect. You won't have to use any deodorizing. 
schema of any kind. When you're raised, when Jesus comes, and you are raised in a moment, twinkling of an eye, and you become immortal. You're going to live forever and ever. You are made at your best. Just like Adam was made when God breathed into him the breath of life and Adam became a living soul. Made to never die, always be at his best. And that's what God wants you to have as an experience. And it's your choice. It's rather interesting that some of these things, we sometimes get the feeling, well, you know, what will be will be. What will be is what you choose to be. And now Christ wants his followers who have been broken through the work of his Holy Spirit to be a sweet savor for him. In fact, 2 Corinthians 2.15 and 16 says, For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish to the one we are the savor of death unto death and to the other a savor of life unto life. How do you want to interpret it? Let God Holy Spirit kind of lead you to see it as God wants you to see it. What a tremendous influence in this world for good that you and I have when we accept Christ as our personal Savior. It's a free gift, a gift of love, the pure gift, and a precious gift as I dealt with during the service. And then also a broken gift as revealed through the alabaster box. Our hearts are really touched when you and I think of exactly what transpired some 2,000 years ago when that woman, Mary, bought this alabaster box of ointment, which resembles a whole year of earnings salary. And she gave it to Jesus. And then how we see the parallel between that and Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish. Some will perish if they don't believe in him. But some that believe in him, trust him, accept this gift, and they will have eternal life. And it's rather interesting that that eternal life begins when you accept Christ as your personal savior. Which means when you accept Christ, your personal Savior, right here, eternity has begun for you. You might be laid to rest for a little while, if time should last, but you're assured of eternal life. That's it. So heaven begins here on earth, as we're told from the pen of inspiration. Interesting. And if heaven begins here on earth, those of you who have accepted Christ as your personal Savior, what kind of people, as citizens of God's kingdom, are you? Could you help me? What kind of people are you? 
you're loving, you're kind, you're tender-hearted, you're forgiving, you're precious. All those good qualities that Christ exhibited, showing the kind of a father that he came to show us that we've lost track of. And some people will never, never know what God is like, what Christ is like, except through you as God's representative. Could it be that maybe we are not representing him right at times? And maybe we're representing the falsehood that Satan portrays about God and about Christ. And that's the decision that you and I have to make. And once we make the decision to be fully on God's side, it's amazing how God will give you the strength, the courage, the blessings, the determination to be settled in the truth. And the truth will make you free and you're free to live forever and ever and ever. Otherwise, we're bound. And the end result is death. So how many of you want to, this morning, say, you know what? I really want eternal life. I really want to accept Jesus. I want to accept that gift for God so loved the world that he gave. And you're accepting Christ as your gift. Would you please stand as we have the closing prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the message that you have assured us from the scriptures that this story will be repeated. And now we realize more fully why is because that alabaster box that was so graciously given, so costly, reminds us of how Jesus was given by our Heavenly Father to live a perfect life for us, to die on Calvary's cross as a penalty that we deserve, not He, and yet He gave us that gift. And then that He was resurrected to assure us that we will have the privilege of being resurrected if we should be laid to rest. And if time should not last and we should be alive, we will be somehow translated, will be changed in a moment, and we will have eternal life. We thank you for this gift, and we commit ourselves to you. We empty ourselves fully so that Jesus can occupy our heart fully and mold us into the kind of a person that you intended for us to be from the very beginning. And we pray that we will never let go of you and having faith in you. And we also pray for our loved ones, our spouses, our children, our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, our extended family, wherever they are, that somehow we will represent you in such a way that whenever we meet with them, that they will just say, you know, it was so wonderful to see this person because they're so 
much Christ-like, and they always give us the blessing that we so much need. So we pray that we will truly represent you right, do your will in such a way that when Jesus comes, he will actually say to us, well done, enter in. May each one here present hear those words. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.